Good morning. Good morning. Happy fucking Tuesday, y'all. My name is Tiffany Watts, and you are listening to Sloppy Seconds. Here, we love to talk about how sloppy and messy our lives get. And I'm talking about sloppy relationships, sloppy habits, sloppy beliefs. But really, at the end of the day, it all comes back to how we use all of that mess to inspire us to grow and to heal and to truly upgrade our lives. So let's just get into it. Today, I have the amazing Dr. Lee Cordell with me, aka the anti-shame coach. She is the founder of the Institute for Trauma and Psychological Safety, which is dope as fuck. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, And she also has her very own podcast, which is I'm Not For Everyone. Yes. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for thank you for taking time out of your day to just sit here and chat with me for a little bit. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, so you and I connected on Facebook. I don't even know how we became friends or like who our mutual mutual friend was or however that happened, but I'm super grateful that it happened. Um, but I remember the first time like we actually interacted with each other was on my post when I was like, oh, like I just made up this word, fear diving. And then you was like, yeah, I've done that too. Like, it was just like a casual, like, girl, this is what we do. And I was like, I love her already. And so you, you actually have, you know, in your, in your work, you actually also ended up coming up with a phrase that you kind of, um, kind of created, which tell us about that. Oh, it's called toxic productivity syndrome. Yes. And it is basically, it's a syndrome that like, particularly us in the West have um, of basically just like we get really wrapped up in tying our productivity to our work. And then everything that we do in order to feel worthy has to do with what we've created, what we've accomplished, what we've checked off our to-do list. And um, that, it gets really exhausting. And it also has us chasing a bunch, of, a bunch of things that aren't necessarily the healthiest or the most mentally beneficial or even the most physically beneficial. Like we'll trade sleep, we'll trade nutrition, we'll trade hydration, we'll trade good relationships to be able to say that we've done things. And um, yeah, just uh, my experience with a lot of my clients, what I've learned is that people who are really, really bought into that often end up burning themselves out. Oh, fuck. You can only do that for so long. Absolutely. I have definitely, like, I'm just now getting into a place where I'm like, I need to reclaim my rest. I need Mm -hmm. to focus on how I feel versus what I need to do. Like, this Mm -hmm. is very new for me, right? Like, I, I, so I am definitely one of those who have struggled with, you know, tying their worth to the things that they've checked off their list. Because, honey, I love lists. Like, I'm like all with the list (laughs) and it feels good. You know, it feels good to accomplish things. And, and I, you know, I know it's not saying that we, we shouldn't accomplish things, but I'm like, I'm definitely one of those people that, and I'm, I'm finding that, yeah, it's very easy to get burnt out. Oh, so easy. I mean, here's the thing of all the choices. I think capitalism is great, right? Like I'm not knocking capitalism. And at the same time, the way, like the way that we have set up um, how we make money and how the system has taught us as particularly as Americans, this is how you make money is really harmful. Um, you know, I, I bought into that for a really long time. I have worked 80 hour weeks, right. For years with three young kids at home. I have burned myself up working 20 hour shifts in a row at the hospital back when I practiced, um, at the bedside as a nurse practitioner. And, what I realized is, is that, you know, like we kind of get sold this lie of you have to work super, super, super duper hard to earn money. 
while also simultaneously operating in a system that in some ways, especially for certain populations, makes it very, very hard to um, have an easy time making money. And so it's like this double-edged sword of, of just um, making it so that we kind of get stuck in the hustle mode. We get stuck in the, okay, I'm going to grind, I'm going to strive, I'm going to do all the things. And then we don't actually really um, end up getting what is truly important, which is really great mutually beneficial relationships where we have time to spend time with our loved ones, where we are able to rest, like you said, where we're able to have more than enough from a, um, from a relaxation and a rejuvenation standpoint. So it, yeah. it's definitely a... Um, it's definitely something that like, at the Institute um, from an organizational standpoint and both on my own uh, personal standpoint is something that we're like uh, trying to change, like flip the script on essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the, the Institute Institute and, you know, what you guys really focus on there, you know, you talk about shame a ton, right? Anti-shame coach. Like what, what made you look at shame and say like this is this is actually what I want to spend my time working through or helping other people work through? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. I get asked a lot of like how did you how did you go from being a hematology nurse practitioner and a professor to being an anti shame coach? And um, you know, it was definitely like a, a very windy, twisty road. But really, my own journey was a huge part of this. Um, recognizing that the reason I became a nurse practitioner in the first place was because that was what I was good at, not because it was what I loved. And um, that was how I was taught I, I could be successful, was getting the, the most degrees, was, you know, having the title, was, you know, um, really being uh, accomplished in that way. And then getting to that point where most people would be like, okay, you've made it. You have you're working in your dream job, you're doing all these things and being really profoundly unhappy and also very, very tired. Yes. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, I was really exhausted and I was having um, significant anxiety symptoms. I had had anxiety since the age of nine and so um, was just going, you know, if I, if this is, if I have everything that everyone says I'm supposed to have, in order to be happy. And I'm feeling this bad. Like, what is this? And so kind of went on my own journey and really started diving into the the main reason I was unhappy was because the person who I wanted to be, to be I didn't feel safe being. Mm. And so there was a lot of shame in, okay, this is how I would actually like to show up in the world versus this is how I feel like I'm allowed to show up in the world. And going on that journey myself and like stripping away the layers of shame and really, I mean, that is, it's tough work. Like that, that has been, those messages have been internalized for, you know, I'm 35, for three and a half decades, I've heard this is how you can be, this is how you can't be, not just from parents and caregivers, but like from society at large, right? And so when I kind of, when I started like stripping away those layers and really being able to show more of my authentic, vulnerable, aligned self and just feeling how good that felt. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I want everyone to feel this. And I started connecting it back to a lot of my patients and my students. And um, at that point I was in network marketing, like a lot of the uh, the people that I was working with and really going like, wow, so much of the, the places where people get stuck, so much of the places where people get unhealthy, so many of the places where people feel bad, it's due to shame feeling like they can't be who they really are. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. My whole body is like vibrating because I resonate with this on a very deep level. Um, the, you know, that's, that's really why I created sloppy seconds, right? Like really on my journey, like I, I am in, in the process of really embracing all of me. You know, and and I think shame was just such a, a huge thing for me that that caused me to be so afraid to just be who I am. 
And so now when I'm at those points where I'm like, okay, like show up as you, right? Show up as you, Tiffany. I'm, I, there's like these voices in my head, like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and then, you know, like, it's like you, it's, it's a weird, weird internal battle. Right. But like, it feels so good when the real you wins and you can just, you know, be present like fully as yourself. What did, what did stripping away all of those, those things look like for you? So first of all, I had to actually like own what it was that I wanted, which sounds easy. It's very much not, especially when the things that you want uh, are maybe different than what you've told other people in your life that you want, right? Um, People you've partnered up with, whether that's professionally or personally, intimately, you know, being able to go to my husband and say like, hey, actually, like, you know, I know that when we got married, this is what we discussed, but like this is what I want instead. And knowing that there might be some fallout from that because he's his own person with his own beliefs and his own expectations. Really. I think that's the, that's the big work is like going internal and saying like, what is it that I really desire? And then getting to the point where you can start to create safety around showing this authentic version of yourself to other people and handling one of, or handling two things. The first of, how I feel when they have feelings, right? Yeah. Um, Because they're going to have feelings. And secondly, how I move forward based on however this changes our relationship. Yeah. Wow. So really a lot of it is then dealing with maybe the shame that pops up then, right? If let's say, here's an example is, I started sharing a lot about like from an income perspective, what I was doing, because I really, I went into business coaching and I really wanted women in my space to see like, look, I I went from working 80 hours a week to 30 hours a week and I'm making the same amount of money. Yeah. Doing something I really love. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and so my father saw that post on Facebook and he, and he messaged me and he was like, you can't share that online. Like people are going to come to your house. They're going to rob you. Like all these things. He was so scared for you. Yeah. And there was a lot of shame of that just from previous money stories. And then I realized, you know what, my father's trying to, first of all, this feels unsafe to my father, right? He's not, he's not really in the online spaces. This feels unsafe to him. Secondly, I have to be comfortable with him not liking what I'm doing and like that being okay. And so I, and it, and from my perspective, I could have gotten really frustrated, right? I could have been like, Oh my gosh, why can't, why can't he understand this? It was a little funny to me because I I was like, dad, I'm a uh, um, bone marrow nurse practitioner and professor at like a top 10 university. Do you think people don't already know that I was making six figures? Like, I hope they know that that's what I was doing. But it was just from his perspective, entrepreneurship felt more dangerous. And so instead of shaming him back or shaming myself and being like, oh my gosh, you know what? He's right. I'm so wrong. I shouldn't be sharing this. I'm putting my family in danger. Instead, I created a really beautiful boundary. And I was like, look, dad, like, I totally get that this makes you feel some kind of way. And like, please feel however you want to feel about it. And it's my job as an adult to like ensure my safety. Yeah. So I've got it. And also, thank you. Yeah. How did you feel when you were like, I'm setting this boundary with my dad? Oh my God, it was so hard. It yeah. Was so hard. Because like, I, I'm just like, I need to know all the things, doctor, because girl, yeah. I'll be, yeah. be in this position. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, that's where the fear really sets in because I'm like, I don't want to, I want to do it, you know? I think it's helpful to remember that when people shame you, right, when they try to use shame in a way to control you, it's always about how they're feeling. Yeah. It's it's about how what you are doing is making them feel. Or I shouldn't say making them feel. Um, I, I try to avoid that language. It's about what you are doing and the feelings that, like, are popping up in them in response. So whenever somebody shames me now, that's actually really helpful information because I'm like, oh, what do you believe about yourself in the world that when I show up in this way, you have such a strong reaction? Yeah. Hmm. That's a very interesting perspective. 
I like it. Okay. I'm it, absorbing it, all of this. <laughs> Taking all of this. It's the yeah. evolved, like it's the evolved perspective to have. Let, let's be honest. Sometimes yeah. when people shame me, I do not have the evolved perspective. Sometimes I have a very yeah, like, petty, sloppy perspective of like, you know, wanting to drop some expletives or like also wanting to run away and hide. I still have those responses, right? Um, shame feel, shame is one of the worst things we can feel. Like when we feel shame as humans, it's, um, people described it who've had near death experiences, the fear of actively dying and feeling shame are like close to each other in terms of discomfort. Wow. Wow. Which makes sense because evolutionarily speaking, like way back in the day, shame was necessary to keep people alive and to further your bloodline, right? If you have, if little Miss Susie was like bringing bears into your camp, right? Yeah. That would eat the whole tribe. Then we would need to shame Susie around doing dangerous things so that she understood that if she did it again, she was out, right? Yeah. And if she did that again and she was out, she would die because she needed everyone else in order to be able to survive. So name has a beautiful evolutionary purpose. The problem is, is that in today's society, we don't need to shame people to further, like, to, to protect their bloodlines. Yeah. So, so now, yeah. no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, so I was just going to say, we, so shame these days is becoming less and less necessary from a social standpoint, but it's actually becoming more and more commonly used because of social media, because of the news. I mean, yeah. go online and read any posts where people are literally saying, you should be ashamed of yourself for thinking that way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, like just to backtrack a little bit, I know you said um, it was important to you to figure out what you wanted. Mm -hmm. How did you figure that out? Like, what? How did you? How did you come to the conclusion that, like, right now, this version of me needs and wants this? Yeah. So um, this is actually a like a whole exercise I take people through in in the programs and when I work with people one on one is we call it owning your yeses and your nos. And so most of us are very disconnected from our bodies because. Um, just in, in, again, in American and Western society, we've taught people that like our mind, our logical, rational, reasonable mind is like more beneficial to lean on than our emotional, um, embodied state. And so a lot of us are very like out of touch and out of tune with our bodies. We don't listen to what our body says when things are happening, or, um, we have been taught very often that we can't trust the messages that our body is sending us. So an example of this is just, you know, how we tell little kids to hug um, relatives that they don't want to hug, right? We send the message to these kids, don't trust the sense that your body is giving you, trust your brain, which is saying rationally, this is your relative, you should, you should be fine hugging them instead of being like, no, I'm getting a really bad vibe from this human, right? So we tap back into yeses and nos of like, I'll have my clients ask themselves questions at every single moment of the day. So they'll wake up and they'll be like, what, uh, what do I want to eat for breakfast? Do I want to have oatmeal? Do I want to have toast? And then like, they'll actually like pay attention, drop into their body. And when they say to themselves, do I want to have oatmeal? They'll feel into that. Wow. Okay. And so after a while, they start learning what a yes feels like in their body and what a no feels like in their body. So when things happen on a day-to-day -day basis and they get asked questions or they get choices or they get decisions, they can very quickly be like, oh, this is a yes or this is a no, or this is a, I don't have an answer, so I need more information. Yeah. So that's literally what I did. I walked around for I mean, months, and I still do this. Sometimes when I get kind of confused or, or um, unclear, I'll just stop and I'll go to my husband or I'll go to my coach or my best friend and I'll say, hey, can you ask me some questions so I can like feel into what my answers are instead of trying to think this through, which isn't working. Yeah. I love how you are saying like feel into it or like drop into your body. Like that gives me this visual of like what this should 
feel like as I'm going through this this process? So really, it's, it's as simple as me being like, okay, should I go to bed at, at 10 o'clock, right? Like, should I, should I actually get some rest tonight? Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I pause and then I listen to how I feel. Mm-hmm. If it's a yes or no. Yeah. And then I'm supposed to just, if it's a yes, like, what does it look like when I take that action? I just do it. Yeah. You just trust it. And this is going to be so uncomfortable if for a lot of the people listening or they're probably um, going, I can't just live, like, I can't just trust it. Right. I can't just listen to my body. And that's because of the cultural conditioning that you've had. Like that's literal decades of programming telling you don't trust your body. So I want to just like fully witness and see anyone who might be hearing this and going like, that sounds crazy. Or like, that's, I can't do that. That's normal. And so you can just simply start with some easier questions and go from there instead of being like, should I quit my job and go to Tahiti or should I stay here? (laughs) I mean, you also get to look at the types of questions you're asking yourself too, because if, if you're sneaky, you can set some questions up in really easy ways to get the answer that like your brain is brain thinks you want. Right. Um, so, so then how are, how are you telling, um, if it's, you know, intuition, if you, if it's your body really being like, yes or no, or if it's your mind being like, yes or no. Yeah. So for me, um, it's really, you know, we say gut feeling. So something that was so fascinating for me to learn along this, and I didn't actually even learn this in my nurse practitioner degree. I learned this way later, um, is just how, uh, neuronally connected your stomach and your heart are to your brain. So we actually have, when you really look at, um, how our bodies are set up, we actually have three brains. So we have the head brain, we have the heart brain, and we have the gut brain. Um, there are more, neuronal connections, neurons in your heart than in like a cat's brain. Wow. And has a similar amount. So people always think like, oh, I need to listen to what my head is telling me. And what I really like to encourage people to do is like, okay, actually let's close our eyes and take a few deep breaths into that heart space and feel into what your heart is saying. And then let's go down to your gut and take some deep breaths, like into that deep belly space and really focus there and see what your gut says. And so for some people, a yes um, and a no might come out in a sound. I'm a very uh, guttural person. So my husband laughs. He's like, I can always tell how you're feeling about something by the sound you make. Like, all if I'm a yes, I go mm, or like mm-hmm, right. <laughs> if I'm a no, I'm like mm. like it's a you know, and and just in in lots of different places. He's like he's like I can tell if you like your food. I can tell if if you like how you're touching or I'm touching you. Like I can tell you all these things because you're just a noisy human, right? <laughs> you're a noisy human. That's such a great compliment. <laughs> you're a noisy human. Yeah, no, I, you and I are similar in that way. I, you know, I've been doing, um, I started doing therapy Mm -hmm. last year, like end of last year. And, you know, what I am noticing is that I hold a large part of my, a a large amount of my energy in my gut. And so like when I, I mean, a lot, you know, I have a lot of gut issues Mm -hmm. and, you know, speaking with my therapist, you know, you're talking about blockage and a lot of those things because of that particular issue. And we've really been working um, with tapping lately. Oh, Are you it. familiar with tapping? Yeah, yeah. So, so what happens, what I've been feeling is just to kind of, you know, kind of show people what this could feel like, you know, a lot of times I'll start tapping and, you know, I'll notice that energy and I'll feel it in my gut. And then as, as I go through the tapping motions, like it'll just rise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember like one of the recent experiences, it like rose up and out of my mouth and then I burped and she's <laughs> like, yeah, that's normal. And I was like, shit, like I have you didn't come somewhere else. Like, <laughs> it's super, it's super normal. Yeah. So that's like one of my favorite modalities, emotional freedom technique or tapping um, is so beautiful because it actually, it, keeps your uh, 
henbane distracted. It what it mm. does is it rapidly um, activates both sides of your brain with and with people who have past painful learning or trauma, that can change how your brain functions. And what often happens is that in certain um, around certain memories, only one side of your brain is working. And so the tapping is really beautiful or um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is another therapeutic modality. They get both sides of the brain online at once. And it also then allow it. So it allows for those brain connections, but it's also distracting. So it allows you to get into those like deeper thoughts and in, in those other places in the body, like the heart and like in the gut. But so many women, so many women and men too, but like so many women in particular store trauma in their guts. And so this is why that yes and that no can be so powerful because it's also, it's a little bit, it's, it's a healing modality. You're essentially going into a place that you were told a long time ago, don't trust, don't feel this, ignore this, and starting to rebuild that connection. Wow. This is so much deeper than I was expecting. And I'm so like grateful for this. I just, just gratitude. So like my, I told you, like my, my body was vibrating. My hands are just like doing some tingly shit over here. Like <laughs> this is, that's how I know. Like, it's just like, I, you know, ever since I did start tapping, like I'm, I, I can feel it move, you know what I mean? And so like, I, yeah, like it's crazy. It's, it's, wild to me that I you know, like I've listening to my body when it's telling me things is, is beginning to get easier and easier. Like there was something as simple as my, my daughter, she, she gets out of school the same time every day. And, you know, this was one of the days that she was doing her after school program. And I didn't even like, I hadn't looked at my phone for a really long time. I, I hadn't looked at any technology. I don't know what I was doing, maybe reading, doing something else. Um, but I remember like, just being like, Naomi's on her way home, like go open the door. And I just, so I just did, I just went and opened it. It was like a really normal thing. And I stopped at the door and I was just like, you know, looking out the door. I was like, she's not here. What's happening? Like, she's not here. And then here she comes walking down the sidewalk and I'm like, oh shit. Like, I'm powerful as fuck. Like, that's dope. You know? Yes. No, it's a big thing. I... Um, starting to trust my intuition again was so huge because there's actually, uh, on my podcast, I have my sister on an episode, I is for intuition, because we talk about this. And my sister talks about how she is a human that has a really hard time telling the difference between her anxiety and her intuition, mm, Yeah, uh, which is a really common problem, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of our nervous systems get programmed to be on alert all the time instead of being quietly watching and then giving us alerts when they're necessary. And so for a lot of people, they, they have a hard time trusting their gut because they can't tell the difference between just their general anxiety and when their gut is telling them that something's wrong or something needs changed. And so this was definitely me too. And, and working through doing the trauma work that I've done personally, my anxiety levels are have literally gone from like an eight out of 10 to maybe a one or a two every now and then they'll get up in the five range, but I feel like a fundamentally different human. And now the intuitive hits I get, I, like the, it feels almost a little trippy. Like, yeah. like similar to what you said, the other day I was leaving the house and my body was like, stop, you're forgetting something. And I was like, and my mind was like, no, we're not. Like we went through the whole checklist. We did all the things. And my body literally like stopped me. And it was like, you're forgetting something important. And of course I ignored it. <laughs> and I like got in the car and I started driving. And then I went to call my husband and realized I didn't have my phone. And you were and, forgetting something. Yeah. And, but it wasn't a mind thought. It was a yeah. body. That's what usually stops you when you're like forgetting something and then you still can't remember. You're like, shit, yeah. what was what was it? You know? No, yeah. My mind was actually talking me out of it. It was like, no, we've prepared everything, we've done everything right. But my it was so it was interesting to have that flip after being in my brain for so long worrying about things, to have my body send me that message and have my mind go like, No, 
like, we don't need to worry about that. We're fine. And then to actually have it be the other direction, but stuff like that happens all the time. Like I, I'm so much more in tune with other humans now too, because my own emotional interference isn't in the way. So I can tell, like if my husband or one of my kids is upset, I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, how did you know that? And I'm like, I just like, I can, I can feel it. My body can sense that now so much easier until that's not my emotion. That's their emotion. Cause before I just felt everybody's emotions as mine. Yeah. It's kind of that feeling where you like, you can cut the tension in the room. Like you just, you feel it there, but you don't feel it in here, right? Like inside. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, I think that's one thing that I've, I've, felt for a large part of my life is you like feeling people inside of me that, but I didn't know what to do with that. And then it, you know, there were points, especially when I was a teenager, that it became super burdensome. Like, I don't know what to do with this. And, you know, when I was in high school, I, I would have considered myself an extrovert. And then, you know, like, you know, definitely after I had my daughter and just started getting older. And then I think that, you know, the weight of it all was just beginning to get heavier and heavier. And I started to, you know, kind of go into my own hole because Mm -hmm. it, and not really even knowing what I was doing, but was definitely slowly, but surely like backing away from people. Yeah. Because yeah, it felt really, really heavy. Yeah. I, I hear that. Uh, I don't know if you ever see this online, but people talk about how they're empaths. And my personal take on that is like, we are all empaths. That That's a human trait is to be able to feel someone else's feelings. Yeah. It's just that most of us are actually taught that that is a bad thing. And so, or it's a really good thing. And so we do one of two unhealthy things. Either we're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to feel other people's feelings because those feel awful. So let me just like put up this barricade and become very disconnected from their feelings, but also from my own, right? Because feelings are bad. Yeah. Or we aren't taught how to create boundaries, boundaries between um, our feelings and theirs. And so we can't tell the difference between what somebody else is feeling and what we're feeling. And then we make ourselves responsible for the, that person's feelings and for fixing them, because if we can fix how they feel, then we fix how we feel. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is a lot of like all of that, <laughs> like all of it. <laughs> it was all of that at some point, you know, like if I, if I look at different versions of me, like I've definitely, you know, have definitely felt both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, now I feel like there's, I I'm, I'm, picking up all these tools along the way to be able to work through that and learn how to say that your what you're going through matters, but like not take it on, you know? Um, And the more I I sit and I have these conversations, the more I learn and I'm like, I'm just putting all these tools in my tool belt so that I can pull them out when I need to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it. Cause I think a lot of people, when they go to do trauma work, they're like, Oh, I'm going to like heal. And then this is going to be fixed and then it's done. And I'm yeah. like, no, cause you're living in a world with 8.1 billion other humans. Like you're going to get hurt again. Shit's going to happen. Like, so instead, yes, let's go ahead and process through and, and release some shame and heal from the things that happened in the past. And let's also give you resources and tools and um, the, the confidence, right? Empower you to know that if something harmful or hurtful happens again, this is how you're going to deal with it. This is how you're going to make it through and not store it and not have it negatively impact you for a really long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just um, having a conversation with a good friend of mine last night. And, you know, we kind of went back into Tiffany in her t- early 20s, you know, and what uh, the, the relationship I was in at that time. And, you know, in conversation, I, I heard myself say, like, that would have saved me. Like, if I, if I had listened to myself, mm-hmm. trusted myself, 
I would have completely changed the trajectory of my life. That would have saved me years and years of pain, you know, and that was pain before I ever began any intentional healing, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was like those, you know, that stage that you get right after a really bad breakup, like that, that stage, right? Like years of that, just feeling that. And I, and I heard myself say that and I was like, shit, like this is, this is the consequences of us not trusting ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like putting our, our worth in our, our trust in other people. And, and we get left with whatever they choose to leave us with. Right. And for me, it was, it was pain and it was guilt and it was, it was a fucking mess is what it mm -hmm. was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I like even taking this out broader, your experience there of like, gosh, if I had known this, this is honestly why we created the Institute in the first place is because I just got really, really tired of looking around at both like individual community, state, like national systemic levels and being like, wow, we're not teaching people how to do any of this. Like our kids aren't getting, our, our kids aren't learning boundaries and emotional intelligence and how to be resilient in school, they're learning how to be good factory workers. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, it's the, the saying is so true. Like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of this has to start at home. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely, and, and this is not to knock my mom because she was, she was an amazing fucking mom, but she, you know, like we didn't talk about, we talked about religion and we talked about, you know, putting our faith in God and saying like, that's, that's, he's going to do everything right. Like that's what we learned to be so dependent that we did not feel like we had to do the work. Mm. And then, you know, now, now that I'm learning, right. Because in, that's why you started your Institute. This is why I started Thoughty Seconds. You know what I mean? So that we could start having these conversations. And so I could learn how to do the work that I need to do. And in the process, share that, that information with others. And so I could teach my daughter because as a woman raising a woman, like, the amount of shit that I need to, that I feel like I want to teach my daughter. It's like yeah. the scale, is, the, it's wide, you know, like there's yeah. so much. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, and I think too, you know, one of the things that I have really seen is just not only are we not teaching, like teaching our kids, well, first, and let me actually just back up because I, you know, our generation is one of the first generations that really is collectively able to focus not just on surviving, but also thriving a bit, right? Yeah, for and sure. So I, I think like we get to acknowledge that because there are a lot of um, millennials and oh my goodness, what are the, what's the new one? Gen alphas. <laughs> There's a gen oh, alpha. I haven't even heard of that yet. I'm, I'm way behind and then my one of my kids is a, or excuse me um, one of my nieces is a gen alpha and I was just like what that is crazy and also that's going to give them a complex because really but um oh, yeah. yeah but yeah. I, I I talk with some people who are you know younger than 30 and I and that connection to like understanding how much harder it was to survive like just 50 100 years ago and especially when you start adding in um, different like intersectionality, right? Like race yeah. and ethnicity and yeah. um, uh, your sexuality and all of those things. We're at a point now where we can actually start to look at truly healing generational trauma because we have a little bit of space in order to be able to do so because we're not worried consistently about only surviving. And I say that collectively because there's still plenty of people in our country that are focused primarily on surviving. And so trying to heal your trauma while also just trying to make it through the day and, and put food on the table for your family and make sure that your kids are okay. Like this, this needs to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. But the other piece of that is, is that the people who are primarily focused on surviving oftentimes have the most traumatic events happen to them. So being able to teach resilience to people in those spaces is so key because if we can do that, then that's what's going to actually help them 
pull, um, or I don't want to say pull, like help them move through those situations and hopefully get to a point where they can thrive. But like, if we're not, if we're not equipping people with that knowledge, there's like the, it, it makes it so much harder to move forward. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where, where do we start with that conversation when we're looking at, yeah. you know, even just schools? Yeah. You know, and I'm talking about, you know, because when, when we're talking about this particular, you know, these particular topics, we could look at private schools and the public schools and public schools, inner city schools, like all of these. Yeah. And none of us are having this conversation. Yeah. So where does that conversation begin or how do we how do we get that conversation started? Yeah. So we are taking two approaches. So the first is a bottom up and the second is a top down. So we are really trying to teach as many individuals as possible and specifically getting into spaces where we can meet with people who have um, a, from an intersectionality standpoint, they hold more identities that would be considered marginalized. So veterans, um, people with no permanent residence, um, people who identify um, as LGBTQ+, um, people who identify as non-white. Um, really getting into spaces where we know that the likelihood for trauma is higher the likelihood for past painful experiences is higher and helping teach individuals there is huge. And then the other piece is actually getting to that systemic level, like talking to congressmen, talking to people who make laws and who make rules, talking to CEOs of organizations that really are not um, educated or well-versed in what it means to be trauma-informed and giving them the education and the tools and the support that they need in order to be able to then um, infuse those strategies and those approaches into their organizations and into the laws and into the policies. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's good information. I know it's just it's just a small it's a small task. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's it's yeah. But you guys are doing amazing work. Like that's. Like when I said like, that's good information, like that shit that I didn't think about, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's just a lot of us. Like, I don't, this is why I do this. This is why I have these conversations because we all need to hear this. Well, and, and to tying this back to like your podcast, I mean, this whole thing is a very messy process. Yeah. Right. People, people have lots of feelings during this process. It's the same thing as when, I mean, this is innately tied to diversity, equity, justice, inclusion work too, because people don't want to hear that certain people in our society have um, a higher likelihood of experiencing trauma or adverse childhood experiences or um, these things because it's a big thing. And it's, and it's not something that we can just write a law and be like, okay, this fixes it, right? Yeah. There's absolutely. a lot of dismantling that has to go on. There's a lot of like saying, hey, the way that we've been doing this for a really long time isn't fair or doesn't consider these individuals or doesn't really look at this. And, and people are going to have feelings around that. And one of the things I see happen a lot these days is that we shame people for having those feelings instead of being like, it's okay if you have those feelings and like, let's work through them so that you can get to the other side and feel good about whatever decisions we're going to make. Yeah. I love how you said and in there instead of, but I I've been like really working on that yeah. because I feel like some, uh, and I know that's like a, a shift here. Um, but that, that completely changes what that sentence means. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, we take a, a both and approach or we say T-T-A-T, -T, two things are true, right? Mm, yeah. When we put the but in there, it discounts whatever we said in the first half of the sentence. So the two things are true is nice. As you can say, like, there are systems and policies in place that make it harder for certain groups of people to, um, or make it more likely for certain groups of people to experience trauma or past painful experiences. And that doesn't um, mean that every single person in, who identifies as that identity has that experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you and your team, you guys are doing amazing, amazing work. And I am super honored to have had you here today. And we'll definitely need to have you back at some point. Like the shame, the shame conversation is such a, such a huge conversation because we all feel that. Mm-hmm. And majority of us don't know how to handle it, right? We know it exists and then we just leave it there existing. <laughs> and we and we don't know how to work through it and what that looks like. And a lot of times fear drives us away from even trying to do the work to get through. So yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I think the thing that is helpful to remember on around shame, just to like cap it off, is that most of us, almost all of us, I haven't met a person who hasn't agreed with this actually, is that there's pieces and parts to all of us that when, if we feel like if other people saw them, they wouldn't accept us anymore. We all have like those deep, dirty, dark pieces that were like, oh my gosh, if, if this person saw this, they would never talk to me again. They would hate me add your own, whatever your brain says to you there. Yeah. And just knowing that we all have that, that it's normal to feel that way, I think can be really helpful to just be like, okay, well, if everyone feels like there's pieces and parts of themselves that aren't acceptable, then like, is there anything that's actually unacceptable? Yeah. All experience. Yeah. That takes my mind to a whole nother. <laughs> that could be another thing. <laughs> I think just normalizing, normalizing the fact yeah. that you feel ashamed of certain parts of you and recognizing that just because you feel that way, it doesn't mean it's true. And you don't have to make yourself bad for feeling that way because everybody feels that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I would love it. Usually, you know, at the end of the podcast, we do the meme of the day, but I would love it if you could share with us maybe an affirmation that you use for yourself or one that you love to share with your clients to help them deal or work through their, their shame. Yeah, sure. So I actually use something called trauma-informed affirmations. And so you can actually take your favorite affirmation and apply this to it because a lot of us choose affirmations around ways that we want to feel, but our past painful experiences, our past traumas actually have taught us that it's not possible. So affirmations cannot work for us sometimes because it's like too big of a leap for a brain to take to believe that we're wealthy or we're beautiful or we're successful if we've had a lot of learning around that. So what I have my clients do and what I do myself is we use three prefixes for that. So we say it is safe, it is possible, or it is allowed, or I am allowed. So it is safe for me to be wealthy. It is possible for me to be wealthy. I am allowed to be wealthy. And what we find is, is that when they use the, those um, prefixes in front of the affirmations, they almost become more believable. Yes. I think the safety thing is, it's been such a, a huge thing for me lately. And I, I, I don't think I ever realized how important safety was. Oh, yeah. Until more people even started to talk about it. And I realized like, shit, is that what this is? Like, was that what this feeling is? That's what it all is. It's all, that's why we have psychological safety in the term, because most of us, most of us um, feel physically safe most of the time. But most of us don't feel psychologically safe most of the time. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) there's there's been already like three times that I almost just cried and I'm like why am I why am I see you know usually I just let it flow but then I I am a loud crier I'd be like ah so I'm like let me (laughs) let me you know like you know some sometimes I just feel things so strongly and I'm like that that is it and like safety like yes like I love that. I've never heard to put those prefixes on that's it's a new thing yeah I, I am so I am safe yeah, I am safe. 
It is possible and or it is safe. It is possible and I am allowed. Okay. It is safe. It is possible and I am allowed. Yeah. Okay. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's gonna be a game changer for a lot of us. I know that. Yeah. I know that. And I can't wait to hear like what yeah. I can't I can't wait to hear like what what people say or about how they felt after they started adding that to their affirmations because I I'm not a, like a huge affirmation woman so I've just started getting back into it because I I think you know so long I was in the space where like this doesn't feel real you know it and it doesn't feel safe it doesn't feel safe for me to imagine being wealthy when I watched my parents get wealthy and lose everything right like so, or it doesn't feel safe for me to be in a relationship when the last relationship I was in was like, really, like there was actual um, physical damage or, or whatever. And so like just creating that sense of safety, possibility, allowance is so huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys, you're going to want to follow Dr. Lee Cordell on her social media. Can you tell us where they can follow you on Instagram, Facebook, any, anywhere that you are? Yeah. So um, our website actually will connect you with all of our social platforms. It's instituteforTrauma.com. Um, or you can actually come join my Facebook group. That's where I live most of the time on, um, on social media. It's called Becoming Trauma-Informed, Creating Safer, Shame-Free Spaces. And we talk, if you enjoyed this conversation, you will deeply enjoy the group because this is what we talk about in there. So Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So if you guys want, if you if you have questions about our conversation, if you if you want to just join in the conversation because you have some comments, um, this will be shared on our social media. You know where that is. It's at daily.slop on all platforms. And please just leave us a review and let us know what you're thinking. Um, until next time, you guys have a beautiful fucking week. <laughs>